It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Ashley Webster. I'm Kennedy. I'm Jason Chaffetz, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, June 15th, 2022. I'm Lisa Brady. It feels like there's no escape from red-hot inflation. And the White House has other fires to put out, too. But the president keeps touting historic progress. And frankly, I do try to find, like, a silver lining. I can't find one here. So I, I do, yes, of course, think that they need to change course. I get no indication that they plan to do that. We speak with Fox's Dana Perino. I'm Dave Anthony. Just about every day, gas prices hit a new record high. And it looks like we're going to have to get used to it. This is a problem that is not going to disappear overnight. Not in the next week, month, and it may not even in the next year. Just really depending on economic growth, the economy uh, remains strong. I don't see this improving anytime soon. And I'm Charlie Hurt. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Less than five months to the midterm elections, President Biden sounding like he's campaigning. America still has a choice to make, a choice between a government by the few, for the few, or a government for all of us. Telling union members in Philadelphia Tuesday that his plan for the economy and the results aren't finished. Jobs are back, but prices are still too high. COVID is down, but gas prices are up. Our work isn't done. He also accuses Republicans of trying to stop his plans to bring down costs, countering GOP claims that his policies are a main driver of inflation. Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell says unstable prices, border security and public safety. Strike one, strike two and strike three for Democrats at the federal, state and local level. While the president acknowledges high prices are a problem, he still largely blames Russia's president for going to war in Ukraine. And overall, he insists progress has been made and that his administration is changing people's lives, meaning for the better. Well, at some point, I consider this the square peg round hole communication strategy at the White House. Dana Perino is co-host of America's Newsroom and The Five on Fox News Channel, also host of the podcast, Everything Will Be Okay. What they've been trying to do for months is not working. I think people are very attuned to everything that is happening because it is happening directly to them. Every day, they are faced with the pressures of inflation. And we haven't had inflation like this in decades. The president is setting records all over the place. And at first, they said it would just be temporary. Then they said, well, it's just because of Putin. Well, now it's pretty clear that the American Rescue Plan that the president passed was one of his biggest priorities and that the Democrats passed on a party-line vote absolutely fueled inflation. And the White House doesn't seem to have any other way to deal with it. And frankly, I do try to find like a silver lining. I can't find one here. So I I do, yes, of course, think that they need to change course. I get no indication that they plan to do that. Now, you start to hear it when you talk about the critics. You're starting to hear it from inside the House, Mm -hmm. meaning inside the Democratic caucus. There's been whisper campaigns to papers like the New York Times, for example, suggesting he should not run again in 2024. Now, that is not a vote of confidence. For someone working in the White House right now, how worried should they be about the president running or not running? I think, look, when you go to work at a White House, you know that at any moment, 
if the president doesn't want you around, you're out. There's no going to HR and working through the union. You are serving at the will of the president. So when you go to work at the White House, I don't think you necessarily work so much about working there for an extended period of time. And I think that they're pretty clear that they will lose the House in the fall, and they could very well lose the Senate. Bernie Sanders, in the debate with Lindsey Graham that Brett Baer hosted the other day on Fox Nation, basically said that to all the Democrats. Like, Don't think that you can just do nothing and end up without a bloodbath in November. So he's concerned. And if you are a staffer that's concerned that your White House days might be numbered, I'd go ahead and get on LinkedIn today. Does it benefit the president right now to essentially stick to the script? Because while he does keep blaming things on, quote unquote, Putin's price hike, it's true at this point that the war in Ukraine is certainly having an impact globally on fuel prices, on food prices. So is it a case of if the president just keeps, you know, saying this, it'll kind of take root with voters and help in some way? I would think that would work Except for that they've been doing that for several months and it's not working. The inflation rate went up. So that's not working. People know that the war is having some sort of impact, but they also don't hear anything following that, which is, therefore, we are going to what? Right? He's going to go to Saudi Arabia. He's going to try to work on relationships there. I don't know if he can really improve gas prices by going there. But you do have to wonder, as an American people, why aren't we trying to find our own oil and gas here in America? Why are we asking the Saudis to do that for us? A lot of the things they're doing just don't pass the common sense test. And when you start to get the um, I word, incompetence, and if you look at Afghanistan, the baby formula crisis, that one to me is such a dismal failure of government and of this administration. And to think that no one told President Biden it was happening until April. That is a huge deal. Uh, There's a couple of things that they should do to try to get ahead of. One is the coming food crisis. It's not only going to be increased prices here in America, but you could see real actual food shortages in really important places geopolitically uh, where people could end up starving. And what happens when people are hungry? There's uprisings and then there's more instability. So there are there are multiple crises, but he's not the first president to have this problem. The presidency is a decision-making experience. And if you don't love making decisions and being decisive, it can make for a pretty miserable experience for yourself. What a time to become the new White House press secretary for Mm -hmm. Karine Jean-Pierre. She's an historic choice for the position, but it's still the same job, and it's always a tough one, and especially when there are times Mm -hmm. of crisis. You know, as someone who's done the job, I mean, how do you think she's doing so far? Well, I have tremendous respect for the office of the press secretary, and I take the job very seriously, and I took it joyously. And I am glad to be friendly with the press secretaries that came after me and the ones before me, especially my good friend Marlon Fitzwater, who worked for President Reagan and George H.W. Bush. I would say, however, I do not think Corinne had enough experience at the podium to deal with what she's facing right now, which is all of these multiple crises all at the same time. And they put her out there on the podium immediately. They didn't have to do that. They haven't even done an interview for the president in 125 days. Why does she have to go out and brief initially? She didn't even have an answer about the baby formula crisis the other day. And you have to have those things at the ready. Now, in the communications department's defense, 
This is not a communications problem at the White House. This is a fact problem. It is a policy problem. And no policy problem in the history of the world has ever been solved by changing messaging. So they have to be willing to say, we have recognized that there are some problems. We fell short here and here. Therefore, what we are going to do is this and that and give her something to work with. Because right now they don't have that. Um, I, I had a friend at the White House who used to say, every day you get to eat a crap sandwich. You just get to choose if it's wheat or rye. Wow. <laughs> That's good. But again, it's a, it's, it can be a joyous experience as well as a difficult one. But what an amazing opportunity to represent the American people. Do you think that inflation is an Achilles heel for Democrats in the midterms? Or are there so, so many things? Yeah, of course. So I was born in the early 70s when Jimmy Carter was president. And the only thing I've ever known about Jimmy Carter was how terrible his presidency was. And he was only 52 years old at the time. And President Biden is facing this at a time when the presidency takes all of your physical, emotional, and mental energy every single day. And now you have Democrats like David Axelrod saying he's just too old. He's too old to run again. And that's got to be demoralizing, I'm sure. And nobody wants to hear that. And also, look, we need our president to be strong. We need him to be successful. And I want him to do that. I just wish that he would listen to me once in a while. <laughs> Does this pose, I don't want to say too big a challenge, but you know, if Republicans do take back the House and or the Senate, let's say, mm-hmm. are they going to be under a lot of pressure then to do something if things haven't already started to change at that point? You know, some people in the Democratic Party think that might be the best thing that happened to them is to lose the House because it could be a wake up call to Democrats that they've moved way too far left. However, that's not how they think, because the youth vote, which typically goes for Democrats, it's already starting to wear away. And it's not because the president isn't being moderate enough or centrist enough. It's because they believe he is not progressive enough. His poll numbers could be in the low 30s, whereas right now they're in the high 30s. And that's one of the concerns that they have to deal with at the White House. However, I would say this. Joe Biden has been in politics for decades. He knows how to do politics. He's just not doing it. And I hate to say that. That's a hard thing for me to do. I actually try to always try to find something to look and say, wow, that's that's good or that's positive. Do you think at some point when they brought NATO together, that's good? But why did they get it to the point where Putin felt like he could invade in the first place? I, tr- I really do try to find things that I think that they are doing well. But even like with the with the border, every day you see these images. And I understand that the rest of the media doesn't really cover it. But the Democrats rely way too much on the media to carry their water for them. And it doesn't help them. There is a ray of bipartisanship in Washington, a framework to address gun violence in the U.S. Senate, brokered by Texas Republican John Cornyn and Connecticut Democrat Chris Murphy. It would enhance background checks for gun buyers under age 21 and offer help to states on red flag laws, mental health programs and school safety, including grants. We all know that between a framework and a draft is a lot of work and potential pitfalls. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is hoping for a vote before the July 4th recess. But even if it passes, some Republicans are concerned about what happens in the House. Well, they should be, because guess who also is concerned about it in the House? Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, because what it might mean for young people if they have to have their juvenile records reviewed, if they're under 21 and want to buy a gun. It's coming from the left as well. However, Joe Biden has somebody to thank for a bipartisan package. And it's not Chuck Schumer. It is John Cornyn, the senator from Texas. 
And the polling that we've seen so far is that even gun owners look at this bill, think it's pretty narrowly targeted and could say yes to to a lot of it. There's new polling on that. But the devil is in the details. Things can get delayed or stalled. But right now, to me, it looks like the Republicans are pretty much on board and holding together and waiting to see the full text of the bill. If the bill passes the Senate only to then fail in the House, could that be something else that hurts Democrats in the midterms? Maybe, although I think the Democrats are not getting much of what they want in this legislation on gun rights. The Democrats are going to be sorely disappointed in this bill. But do they want the issue to fight about or do they want to start to solve the problem that they say they care about? And if it's the latter, then they should say, we'll take what we can get at this point and we'll keep working at it. But if they want to scuttle the whole thing, they could go to their districts in the fall and say, please vote for me. I did nothing. It's not very inspiring. One last quick question about the gun bill Mm -hmm. that I wanted to ask you. Four of the 10 Republican senators who support the bipartisan framework are also set to retire. Is that a new norm that's coming? We only get bipartisan compromise in Congress when lawmakers aren't running for re-election? That could be possible, except for once all of these folks retire, there's going to be a lot of people who are ambitious and want to be there for a long time. Uh, And nobody runs for office thinking, gosh, I can't wait to go to Washington and do nothing. Everybody wants to try to do something. One thing we have not seen yet is the National Rifle Association's response to this bill. I think they're either holding their fire or they're waiting for the details, just like other members of Congress. When we see that and we see the reaction from that point of view, that will be interesting. But also remember, don't forget that the left, they are agitated because they're not getting most of what they want. But can they take a little bit of what they say they want? And that could be something that at least those Democrats in swing districts could go back and say, I was able to help get this across the finish line. Keep me in office. Don't know if it'll work, but it's something to run on. Fox's Dana Perino, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. This is Charlie Hurt with your Fox News commentary coming up. The cost to fill up keeps going up and up. Hitting records almost every day for over a month. I work for gas. I work for food. (laughs) And I don't really have that much left over. She's in Nevada, one of about 20 states paying more than the national average for regular gas, which AAA has at a little over $5 a gallon. It's more than 6 bucks in California and in some cities like Chicago. It's painful to go to the gas station. I think we're all just feeling that. I think it's going to get worse before it gets better, and everyone needs to brace for that. A gas station owner in Minnesota feels our pain. Putting a message on a sign at his station, we hate our gas prices too. It's kind of feeling actually a little guilty every time I'd have to go out to my price sign and, you know, jack it up. 20, 30 cents. Chuck Graff owns Murphy's Service Center, a marathon station in St. Anthony Village near Minneapolis. You know, I just wanted my, my customers to know I had, so, you know, show them some empathy that I know this stinks and I know it's, you know, filling up your tank is 
is not a fun thing to do nowadays. So I just kind of so let them know I feel their pain and, you know, we're kind of feeling it too on our end. You said you have to go out and raise your price and do all the things on the sign. How does it work? How do you determine, okay, I got I to gotta add three cents to my price today? Well, it depends on what you have in the ground, what you paid for what you have in the ground. So, you know, that determines which, what your margin has to be. And what gets kind of frustrating is as these prices climb, you know, and we get 75% of our customers are paying at the pump or paying inside with credit cards because nobody really carries enough cash nowadays to use cash to, to fill their tank. So it's a lot of credit card usage and you're paying anywhere from, you know, two and a half to three cents on the dollar, which you figure gas at 479, you're paying 12 to 16 cents on every gallon of fuel you sell just off your margin to pay the credit card processing fees. Oh, wow. I didn't realize it was that much because I know lots of stations have different prices for cash and credit. Sometimes it's like a dime. Yeah, yeah. No, well, we're not in that group. We we have the same price no matter okay. no matter how you're paying. Okay. You, you talked about the gas in the ground. How often does a station like yours get a, a, a new supply at, at, where a truck comes in and fills your tanks? Well, we have uh, diesel, premium, and uh, no lead. And then we have blender pumps that, you know, incorporate our premium and no lead to make a mid-grade. But uh, that's 8,500 gallons or what the tanker holds. And we, we sell about uh, two loads a week, so about 1,700 gallons. All right. And and so you have to pay on the wholesale. For 17,000, I'm sorry. Okay. So <laughs> your, your gas bill is high. When somebody comes and supplies you, you pay a lot of money. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's tickling $40,000 per load now. Okay, so when you buy the next load that comes, and if it's up 5% in your cost, is that when you raise your price? Uh, yes, I'll, I, I'm in the business to make money, so I'm not a believer in in selling you know below cost and, and losing money because some of the bigger stores that have the big full-blown C stores and stuff, they can make it up in groceries and, and other stuff. And I kind of, I'm, I'm more of a repair shop service center and uh, we make our money in the shop, but they, I don't, you know, make a lot as far as C store sales. So gotcha. Like convenience you know, I, store stuff. You mean like, you know, like Twinkies and Gatorade. Twinkies and toilet paper yeah. and, and soda and you know, I sell soda and stuff, but I mean we don't have all the fountain drinks and all the Right. The so other stuff. so you don't you don't you can't make up for, for what other larger places might. But you have a service center. Have you had to raise your prices at the service center? Or yes, the, we did. You did, okay. Yep, we had to raise our our uh hourly rate by $14 within the last three months, and we had to raise it $10 an hour about two months before that. When gas was two bucks, now you're, you you said it's uh, getting close to five where you are. Yeah. Were you yep. paying, were you making the same profit on the sale yes. of a gallon of gas then versus now? Yes, I was. In Minnesota, they, they have a law that no service station or gas station is supposed to sell their fuel with below eight cents over rack price rack price is what you pay at the terminal when they load the tanker okay but it's kind of a toothless law where you know there's not really any enforcement to it i can call the minnesota service station association and and file a complaint 
and then they can call, you know, the person I'm complaining about and just tell them that, hey, you're selling below rack price. And sometimes they'll adjust, sometimes they'll ignore it. It's like I say, it's just kind of a toothless law. Yeah, I mean, there are places we've all driven around and suddenly we see, hey, gas is 25 cents cheaper here. I'm going to get it. Exactly. Is that what they're doing? Are they? Are they? Yeah. Yeah. That's 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 usually what they're doing is they're selling below the rack price. What about places like, you know, BJ's, Walmart, club stores? They, 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 they'll give you discounts. Is it, is it harder to compete nowadays with places like that that have gas and you, you buy something and you get 10 cents off? Well, we have a Costco that's right down the, the road from us, and their pumps are constantly full. So it's taken business away for sure. When you talk to people, uh, your providers at the wholesale level, do you see anything on the horizon where this is going to get better for people? Not in the foreseeable future, unfortunately. I just, I think with, uh, you know, the summer driving season here and people have been holed up for the last couple of years with the pandemic and the 4th of July, I say coming up, it's just, I, I, I don't see anything where the demand's going to drop enough or anything that the, the prices are going to come down. I think we're going to be pulling out those fives to, <laughs> yeah. you know. They have it a lot of other states. A yeah. pretty soon. Where yeah, I am in New York, we're already doing that. And a lot of other oh, places yeah. are. And there's six in California. So uh, do, you have the, <laughs> do you have a six ready, too? Uh, I just have to flip over one of my nines. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hope we don't get the nine. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. I guess you'll keep your sign up for a while <laughs> if this doesn't yeah, get people it better. Still seem, yeah, they still seem to be getting a kick out of it. And they, yeah, until it starts going the other way, I'll probably, I'll probably just leave it up there because as long as they keep going up, I'm going to keep hating my gas prices too. <laughs> well, many thanks to Chuck Graff, who again owns Murphy Service Center, a marathon station in St. Anthony Village, Minnesota. And you know who agrees with him that it's not going to get better anytime soon? Gas Buddies' Patrick DeHaan. He's the head of petroleum analysis there. Americans are still not slowing down consumption. In fact, last week, according to government data, U.S. gasoline consumption reached its highest level of 2022. All the stars aligning, uh, in essence, to force prices higher. And Americans, though frustrated, uh, don't seem to be slowing down. When it comes to the frustration, people are angry. They, they see that they, they keep hearing there's very little that the president can do, Congress can do. How can gas prices come down? What, what could do it? Well, prices are set by a balance of supply and demand. Demand would probably have to come down by over 10% to see meaningful improvement. And meanwhile, supply isn't going to improve anytime soon. It takes years to bring additional oil supply online. The problem is we had a massive jolt when sanctions hit Russia's oil uh, sector. Their ability to export oil has been diminished to the point where there's nobody that can fill in the void left by sanctions that are, are curbing Russia's ability to export oil. And that's the problem is that until there is a meaningful way to offset Russia's 10 million barrels a day of production, we may continue to see prices stay high. And that's something that could last several years until there's enough oil supply in the market to meet whatever demand is. This is a problem that is not going to disappear overnight, not in the next week, month, and it may not even in the next year, just really depending on economic growth. Uh, If the economy uh, remains strong, I don't see this improving anytime soon. Would a recession potentially drop the price of oil way down 
and then lead to lower gas prices. Could that happen? With a strong jobs market, I don't know that a traditional you know, way you think about a recession is going to limit demand much. It unfortunately may take a deeper and more painful recession to deliver lower demand and to bring prices down more significantly. Why can't OPEC open up and, and, and put out more oil? OPEC is essentially tapped out. Um, looking at the latest data, really the only two countries that have spare capacity, Saudi Arabia and the UAE, uh, have very little spare capacity. Uh, and it's nothing close to offsetting Russia's oil output. So the problem is that, you know, even with OPEC fully cranked up with the spigot open as wide as possible, there's simply just not enough oil on the market without Russia. What about here in the U.S.? Why can't we just I've heard the president say these oil companies have all this land drill more or, or you know, I've heard other people want American production to be increased. Well, of course, we all do. Uh, but we have our own supply chain challenges here in the United States, our own labor challenges with a very hot jobs market. It's very hard for oil companies right now to bring on the labor needed to increase production, not yeah. to mention issues with things like steel uh, and other supply chain bottlenecks, shortages of fracking sand that are used in the process of extracting oil. Uh, there are many, many headwinds to raising oil production very quickly. We're also in hurricane season, only the early stages yeah. of it, just the early stages mm -hmm. of it. When we get into July and then especially August and then in September, we can get the biggest storms. Last year, the Gulf Coast got hit over and over and over again. If that were to happen this year, what could that do for gas prices? Well, it certainly could cause uh, a more dramatic spike. Um, you know, we've all heard about the possibility of a, a bank that had called for a national average that could hit 620 a gallon by August. And I think that could happen should we see one of these exceptional events like a hurricane or even a major refining outage. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a hurricane, but anything that would impact the ability of the nation's refiners to produce as much gasoline as is needed would have a profound impact. And I, I think we could get to that national average of $6 a gallon should we see uh, a hurricane like Ida or Harvey uh, that battered the refining sector. But I'm hopeful that by the end of the year, prices will be back under $5 a gallon. And if we see any improvements, um, it's not impossible that we could see prices in the lower $4 range by the end of the year. But again, there's so much that can change, especially with the situation as volatile as the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Patrick DeHaan, Head of Petroleum Analysis for Gas Buddy. Always good to have you on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And in other news. The question of whether or not there's life in space has been an enduring one. Congress recently held an unidentified aerial phenomena hearing with sightings openly discussed and over 400 reported. NASA confirmed it'll join the hunt for UFOs or UAPs as they're now known. And among other things, it wants to lure extraterrestrials with the pictures of naked earthlings. Well, 
drawings. NASA scientists plan to launch new drawings into space, accompanied by a drawing of a hydrogen atom, a map of Earth, and a visual representation of a DNA double helix, all using binary code. Who could resist? Hopefully, nobody extraterrestrial. The message comes as an invitation to respond should an intelligent alien race find these pictures. The project is called Beacon in the Galaxy. So why drawings of naked people? Well, scientists say that would certainly be of compelling interest, of course, reasoning that aliens would want to know what humans look like. This isn't the first honey trap launched, however. In 1972, researchers launched the Pioneer 10 space probe, which included a small gold plaque with an illustration of a naked man and a woman. So who knows if extraterrestrials received it? NASA hopes this project will encourage whatever's out there to stop ghosting us here on Earth. Gianna Jalosi, Fox News. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to Tyrus and Tim. Every week, Fox Nation host Tyrus and Fox News contributor Kat Tim give their hot takes, explore weird headlines, and share amusing stories. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Charlie Hurt. Charlie Hurt. What's on your mind? As hotly partisan as the January 6th committee has been from the start, They're right about one thing. The Capitol riot did not happen in a vacuum. The 64 days between Election Day 2020 and January 6th was the culmination of the most bizarre, surreal, and absurd five years in modern American politics. By the time January 6th rolled around, normal Americans were exhausted, bewildered, frustrated, and had no idea who to believe anymore. Certainly, the political press and politicians in Washington, even officials in the federal government itself, had completely destroyed every last shred of their own credibility. Now, the problem with this partisan committee in Congress is that they want to focus entirely on the actions of President Trump and his supporters in Washington that day as part of a political campaign to blame everything on their political adversaries in hopes of blunting the savage beating they face from voters this November for wrecking the country. Indeed, there were people who committed crimes on January 6th, and those individuals are being punished well beyond the full extent of the law. But the real culprits who caused January 6th will never be held accountable. That's because many of those very culprits are presently seated on the committee or are moderating coverage of the committee for television audiences around the country. Representative Adam Schiff, California Democrat, sits on the committee investigating January 6th, even though he is perhaps the single most responsible person in all of Washington for sparking the riot in the first place. For five years before January 6th, Mr. Schiff, a failed Hollywood scriptwriter, knowingly lied to Americans, including his own supporters, about fantastical tales he and others conspired to spin up against Mr. Trump. Mr. Schiff and fellow Democrats in Congress, along with a handful of very dumb Republicans, colluded with the media to convince officials in the federal government to launch a sprawling investigation into their crazed fantasies about Mr. Trump. We now know all those wild conspiracies were completely made up to destroy Mr. Trump, ruin his ability to govern, and cheat the millions of Americans who had voted for him. In fact, Mr. Schiff's lies were a rolling insurrection aimed at thwarting the 2016 election. It was a conspiracy among Democrats in Washington, the political press, and corrupt government officials. And it worked. By the time January 6, 2021 rolled around, beleaguered American voters would have believed just about anything 
After all, 2020 had been the most dishonest American election since the invention of electricity. Democrats across the country, particularly in key states, exploited the pandemic to dramatically overhaul how Americans voted. All of the changes were made in the name of the pandemic. All of it benefited Joe Biden and Democrats. And all of it hurt Donald Trump. The media's role was as disgusting as it was dishonest. They shamelessly lied about Mr. Trump at every turn of his presidency. They peddled partisan fantasies and manufactured evidence to support the wildest claims made against Mr. Trump. So by the time January 6th rolled around, Mr. Trump and his supporters had seen it all and had been through it all. The notion that Democrats and the media had conspired to rig the 2020 election against Donald Trump was among the most believable things about his whole presidency. But don't expect to learn about any of that from the partisan January 6th committee. I'm Charles Hurt, Fox News contributor. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.